Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. This is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. This is National Public Health Week, and we're taking a closer look at people of faith working in partnership with public health advocates to increase vaccine confidence. Early in 2020, as the race to develop a vaccine was underway, there was a lot of attention on building confidence among African-Americans. As we heard earlier from our guests, that focus was rooted in the history of medical racism and the unethical practices that were often conducted on people of color. Recent surveys show that outreach and education has actually closed the hesitancy gap. Now, a new group has emerged as resistant to vaccines. In March, a poll conducted by the Associated Press noted that 40 percent of white evangelical Protestants said they likely won't get vaccinated. Now, there are about 41 million white evangelicals. So given their size, that makes the religious bloc the most resistant to vaccines. Public health advocates warn that could prolong the pandemic. Is the opposition rooted in religion or something else? To learn more, I spoke with religious studies professor Dr. Julie Ingersoll. She encourages us to look beyond orthodox beliefs and take a closer look at the culture, namely a distrust of government and science. What do you see as the biggest challenge now facing evangelical churches? The upending of knowledge and the ability to have conversations with shared information across a divide, conspiracy theories and anti-science views and all of all of that um, sort of politicization of everything in our lives is the biggest challenge, not just for evangelicals, but for Americans. I think we're at a really, really dangerous point in our history and the voices are loud. <laughs> you know, we've got this polling data that shows half of Republican men don't plan to be vaccinated. 
Well, there is, you know, there's a there's a pretty strong overlap between half of Republican men and evangelicalism. In fact, I think it was actually half of Republican men who voted for Trump. So it separated out that small percentage of Republican men who did not. So these are going to be evangelicals. You know, they have a kind of exuberance about their own knowledge and their own expertise about things. And when somebody could provide evidence that they could trust, their hesitancy was overcome. The evangelicals that we're talking about, and again, it's not all evangelicals, let's be clear with that, but the evangelicals that we are talking about are basing their concern in issues that have no factual basis. And so there's, that means that there's no, there's no evidence or there's, there's no ground on which you can uh, undo it. You can't show them alternative information because it's not based in that, right? So it's based in decades of anti-science teaching with creationism, and it's based in really deep hostility toward the government and suspicion of anything that the government does and an overestimation of their own expertise and conspiracy theories and all these kinds of things. When you look at vaccine hesitancy and an absence of confidence among men who identify as evangelical and who identify as supporters of President Trump, what is it that you take away on how they're responding So I think it's much harder to address because unlike the case with African-Americans who have historic reasons for their concern, these evangelical men, their concerns come out of this imagined conspiracy world. So they've been steeped in anti-science literature with the focus on creationism since really the 1970s. Um, they They are prone to believing in conspiracy theories. They have a demonstrated overconfidence in their own expertise. Um, They're deeply anti-government, so they're suspicious of anything that the government is doing. Um, They were stoked with this uh, anti-masking. Here in Jacksonville, when I go out and about, I invariably see a number of people without masks at the grocery store or with masks down below their noses, and they're almost always white men. Um, But you see this kind of broad... Uh, suspicion of everything that has given us the vaccines, given that they already think that the the coronavirus might be a hoax, and given that they think that masks don't work, and given that they think that the government might be engaged in a conspiracy to harm them, I don't see how you address that in any ways that are going to be constructive and change their minds. But I will tell you, because I spend all my time studying the sort of dark undersides of religion, uh, I am not usually the one to come up with the optimistic solution. I have friends who are very good at that, but that's not really me. I appreciate your analysis and I appreciate your honesty and your reflection. on that. (laughs) Are you seeing in your research uh, a continuation of kind of conspiracy theories being amplified in on the various channels that you observe? Yes. And one of the important things to think about with conspiracy theories is that they are, because they're not typically grounded in anything real. Now, let's be clear. There is such a thing as a conspiracy, right? This is why we have laws against them, right? So when a group of people get together and make a plan to do something illegal, that is legally a conspiracy. But this is something else. This is an imagined orchestration of the development of history, right? 
And because these things are so amorphous, um, they can grab bits and pieces from all over the place. People whose temperament draws them to conspiracy theories are going to be drawn to a bunch of them, not just one. You see this with QAnon, right? Because you've got all of the, so Q isn't posting anymore, but you have all of these other people, Anons, who post, and they post all kinds of different things that get sort of woven into a framework that doesn't have to be coherent and consistent. Um, we expect too much coherence and consistency, I think. So the dominant conspiracy theory out there right now clearly is QAnon. But QAnon is pulling in all kinds of other sorts of little ways of thinking conspiratorially that have been around for a really long time. Like, for example, there are a number of people who think that the vaccine changes your DNA to give you the mark of the beast, which goes back to conspiracy theories about, about uh, end times and millennialism and the rapture and the battle of Armageddon and all of that other stuff. So it, get, it got woven right in there. What is the mark of the beast for someone who's not familiar with that? Okay. 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 So Christianity has long taught that there is a beginning, a trajectory and a culmination to history. Right. And they've had different interpretations of what the Bible says about that. Um, these are often based in the book of revelation and sometimes in, in uh, other books like the book of Daniel. There is a very popular version of this that really dates only to the 19th century, and it's called premillennial dispensationalism. That's the last time I'm going to use a word like that. But that's the version that got popularized in the Left Behind books and movies that says that there is going to be this, uh, this rapture where all the Christians disappear and this battle of Armageddon and this great tribulation and then Jesus will return and establish the kingdom of God. And one of the markers of the beginnings of this period is this one world leader that takes over and forces everyone to take a mark of identifying with the kingdom of the beast as opposed to the kingdom of God. And uh, the theology is that you couldn't buy or sell without this mark. So through history, Christians who believe this end times theology have had all kinds of interpretations about what that mark was. Um, people thought it was the barcodes that they scan at the grocery store. Instead of trusting God to keep you safe, you're trusting in this tyrannical state that is dominated by the forces of Satan and the mark of that state is this vaccine. So this is an example of how they get pulled in together. And one of the reasons I want to get people to think about culture instead of just theology is that this theology has been around for a really long time, but it was the, it was the spread of it through books like the Left Behind books, and before that, um, the late Great Planet Earth and the Frank Peretti novels, and the, uh, the popularization of it through Christian music videos in the 1990s. Um, all of this subculture was infused with this anticipation of this coming persecution by the government, and the reality that you might at any moment have to uh, be willing to be a martyr in order to stand up for God over against this tyrannical state that is part of the kingdom of the beast. And that's all wrapped up in the QAnon stuff.
you were describing it, it's echoing a lot of the themes that I remember encountering when we were working on the QAnon story and trying to understand the relationship of why the QAnon uh, conspiracy was really taking hold, particularly in evangelical churches, that it wasn't a coincidence. No, it's not. And I like to think in terms of temperament and ethos, which are much softer than ideologies and you know, so so there's a there's a there's a temperament. There's a kind of person that's drawn to this, right? It's a person that finds um, uh, one of the one of the great uh, theorists of of this kind of work is um, Michael Barkin, who wrote a book called The Culture of Conspiracies, and he has a whole chapter on stigmatized knowledge, and he talks about how, in for the most part, if if somebody makes a claim and it's largely debunked. Most of us then decide, oh, then that's not accurate, right? But there's a, there's a group of people who find that contrarian space appealing. And the idea of bra- embracing the thing that everybody else has rejected actually draws them in. <laughs> it gives them a, a feeling of having some knowledge that other people aren't smart enough to figure out. I know that you said you're not in the optimism game. <laughs> Are there voices that have surprised you? from the evangelical world that are stepping up and suggesting or encouraging their followers to to get vaccinated? Not right yet. I mean, I have been, every time I talk to someone and ask them about evangelical leaders, they point to Dr. Russell Moore. And I'm curious, how influential is Dr. Russell Moore among these evangelicals that you follow? Well, one of the problems here is that conspiratorial thinking and overestimation of your own expertise leads you to reject someone that you once thought of as an ally who ends up saying something contrary to what you believe. I mean, think about like Mike Pence, right? Mike Pence was, could, there's no one more loyal to Trump during the whole administration than Mike Pence. And one, and one time... He says, I just can't do that. It made him anathema to them. So this is what I mean about the information not being really amenable to being shown in, shown incorrect or, you know, unfalsifiable. That, because what, as soon as somebody departs from the orthodoxy, they are erased. So I think Russell Moore has been important, but I don't know that he can continue to be important if he takes the stands that confront the convictions that we're talking about. Is Dr. Russell Moore the exception to the rule? He's the exception to the rule, but to the extent that he violates the rule, he undermines the effectiveness of his voice among the people that we're talking about. It's sort of built into conspiracy theories. What is it that you see as your biggest challenge right now? That issue about knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, undermining of any shared criteria for evaluating truth. That's all for this week's show. A special thanks to our producer, Kevin McCarthy, our founder, Maureen Fiedler, and MC Yogi for our theme music. To learn more about the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit our show notes at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter, learn more about us, and subscribe to the podcast so you can take us on the go. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe. I hope you are well, and I hope you stay connected. I'll see you next week.